Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word to us. As we receive your word proclaimed this morning, may we grow, may we be edified and become more like our Savior. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Here we come in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount to the second commandment that is reissued by Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, after talking about our internal walk and what's known as the Beatitudes, Jesus goes on to say that He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Sometimes when we think He didn't come to destroy it, just get rid of it. Well, that's actually the same thing. He didn't come to get rid of, destroy, remove, or anything. It's still with us. It's still his, the manifestation of what is right and wrong. But Jesus goes further than just the actual second half of those Ten Commandments. In the previous week, we looked at the command that thou shalt not murder, and Jesus went on to say, actually, we're called to walk free from anger, not just abstain from murder. In chapter 6, he will address the covetous heart and all that motivates our desire to steal when He calls us instead to put our trust not in mammon, but in God Himself. Later on in this chapter, He will address oaths and the importance of our words being true. So you can actually follow the latter half of the Ten Commandments. Jesus will go further than just the commandment itself and say, this is how we walk in that. Jesus, though, is not only the second Moses who's reissuing the law, but here we, we see in this, this sermon, He is the greatest philosopher. He is the perfect giver of wisdom. From Him, we learn that God didn't make the world and then decide a random set of rules and say, this is what I'm going to give this world. I'm just going to press these rules down and say, this is what you'll, you'll follow. No, the law reveals who God is. It reveals His wisdom. 
It reveals what he loves. When we keep the law, we are manifesting God's nature to the world. Yes, we obey because that's how to walk with him. That's how we display a right relationship with Him, and ultimately we want to be with Him eternally. All great things, but it's not just me and Jesus, and I'm trying to, 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 to stay in a good walk with Jesus. It's, all, it's as I'm doing that, if you walk with Him, you're actually showing the people around you the right way that the world should be. We're picturing what the world knows is true, but has suppressed. They don't want to believe a marriage of one man and one woman is possible. They don't want to believe joy and contentment in a committed monogamous relationship, in a committed monogamous marriage, is ideal. When marriage is subverted as it has been in the last 60 or so years at least, it's like ransacking and defacing a beautiful cathedral. That cathedral could be tightly locked. All the doors closed. But the prowling demon of lust just needs one small open window to do tremendous damage. If allowed into a marriage, lust weakens the defenses and protection of the rest of that cathedral. Whether you're married or whether you're single, you are practicing now for the defense of the greatest institution outside of the church that exists in creation. It's not like Jesus warning against Lust is the first time we read about this danger. In Proverbs chapters 3 through 8, we see foolishness symbolized as a sultry, immodest harlot. Solomon says in chapter 5 that, her, that the lips of a strange woman... Now, that's, that's old English, so when we say strange, don't think of, you know, ugly and weird looking, okay? The lips of a... You can fill in the blank and your kids can talk to you about this, what, what, what that means. But the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. So Solomon is not hedging the temptation. He's saying this woman is alluring and desirable. Foolishness is alluring and desirable. And the way that we enter into foolishness, he says in Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs is the direction primarily of Solomon to his son who will reign. There's, it's a danger. If the woman was not desirable, it wouldn't be a temptation. But the end, he says, is bitterness. And the path is that of hell. Now, this is true for a culture just as well as it is for an individual. We can see all around us there is a thirst for death, a thirst for hell. 
That there's a desire for our own lusts to be satisfied. And as you can see, there's no end to man's lust. There's no end. You can say, well, of course, X is off limits because that's just sick. What is off limits to some alive right now? We're, we're similar, in fact, to the Roman Empire in the time of the Caesars when it was said, I, b- I believe it was of Tiberius, although I'm not sure, that Tiberius was considered eccentric because he only craved women. So for a Caesar, he was, he was the weird one because his lusts were only for women. That tells you something about the life of ancient Rome. Well, we're slouching towards that same place. Jesus knew the Proverbs. Here in Matthew 5, 27, he summarizes the danger and where it begins. That is with lust. Now, there's any number of reasons men lust. It is, yes, a carnal desire, but there are certainly, and every male in here who is of age knows this, married or not. There are times of greater weakness and vulnerability. You see, the temptation is natural. It doesn't mean it's okay. It means it's natural. It means it's going to affect you. So we must be aware of these times of greater vulnerability. Times like boredom. Whatever the reason for the boredom. You see this in in an example like David and Bathsheba. All the men go out to war and David stays behind. Now we don't know whatever reason he stayed behind. He was a somewhat older man so he could say, I'm an older man at this point. He could have given any number of reasons and some of them we would say are legitimate. But, don't answer this out loud, but... How many times, men, have you allowed your boredom to open up doors that you have no business even even looking at the door, much less going through it? It also comes at greater vulnerability during times of discouragement. When there's something that, that you didn't want to happen and it happens... Of course, physical or emotional distance from your wife can make you more vulnerable. But interestingly enough, even times of great success, when something good happened to you and your emotions are really high, then you can find yourself not long after, you know, kind of coasting down from that, exposed to temptation. Now at this point, you may... You may say to yourself, honestly, Pastor, so you've given all these examples. When is he not vulnerable? Well, I understand that's a, that's a legitimate question. But he is granted marriage as a gift. Many people posit why the, why the Lord has blessed Western Christianity, or in Christianity throughout world history, 
But, but why, why He's blessed it to be so successful where you see the faith growing? Why is that? Well, well one of the very practical reasons for that, I would say, is when you have a monog monogamy in marriage has been a catalyst for greater production in all kinds of ways. You know, economically, scientifically, artistically, you see this channel that it accomplishes so much as the families go, as the households go, in accordance to the revelation of God, so goes the development and the growth of a society. If you read someone like Mary Eberstadt, who several of her books, uh, most well-known, How the West Was Really Lost, it identifies this. But also, I, I will say, our job, in vulnerable, just because you're vulnerable doesn't mean, well, I'm vulnerable, so I've got an excuse doesn't work. Sin is sin. And to borrow the often used, sadly not as often applied slogan to the drug campaigns of the 1980s, we have to just say no. I mean, it's real simple. No one ever did a this is, do you, do you remember the, in 1980s, the, the, the fried egg commercial? You know, this is, you know, your, the egg. This is, your, this is your brain. And then it would crack it on this hot skillet. And this is your brain on drugs. Nobody ever did that for lust. But it would be just as damaging. But lust, I will say, it's a danger for women as well. But... It's not the exact same type of danger. Often for women, it is more emotionally driven. For example, if you are, I mean, often if you find yourself, wives, distant from your husband for whatever reason, but then you see another man who does the things your husband's not doing, be aware. That's, that's a potential problem. Or it, whether it's an actual man or often, also for ladies, the books you read, the movies you watch, you say, well, how do I know? Well, this is something that you can, as we heard this morning, you can talk with, with, with another older lady about this, but I'll say, if, if what you observe, if what you take in stirs your dissatisfaction towards your own husband more, that's a problem. And you're putting yourself in danger. So then, what, what do you do? How, how, do you, how do you handle this? Well, the answer to lust, Jesus tells us, is really clear. Now, I would begin with the Apostle Paul, as he says to Timothy, flee youthful lust. So the answer, it's not fancy. It's just run. We find all kinds of creative ways to say, no, we're more sophisticated than that. Now, was Joseph in the Old Testament sophisticated? Was he wise? Was he understanding? Well, of course. 
What did he do? You have Potiphar's wife, who was certainly not some ugly woman, at least not in physical appearance. What did she do? She, Joseph was a slave. He had every reason he could ask for for saying, I'm just doing what my master's wife bids me. What did Joseph do? He did not reason. There came a point at which reasoning was over with, and he ran. And you could even say, well, his running didn't help him very much because she still had his, she, she still had his robe. Yes, but she did not take his dignity. He did not give that to her. And men, that's what we're called to do as well. You run. If it's good enough for a wise man like Joseph, it's good enough for us. Number two, Jesus says we are to destroy or remove whatever the gateway is to our lust. He spends more time in talking about what we are to do to handle the problem than the problem itself. Verse 29, your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. 30, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. You would get the idea he means business. But there is danger here, and the danger should be met with appropriate action. You've heard the statement, let the punishment fit the crime. Well, here, Jesus is saying, let your defense and protection mechanism match the danger you are confronted with. Jesus' warning teaches us that it is possible to give yourself over to sin without consummating your lustful thoughts in physical adultery. You can ransack a cathedral without physically tearing it down. And you can say, well, at least I didn't burn the whole thing. The inside may look like trash, but that's possible. But just because the shell is intact doesn't mean it's okay. Just because your physical being has not given over to the sin does not mean everything is fine. The eternal danger, Jesus says, is the same. And lust is a sin that if you give yourself over to it, even if it remains in your heart, if you give yourself over to it, you are walking a very tight rope. So Jesus says, take whatever action you have to instead of giving yourself over to hell. Dallying with lust to comfort your self-pitying heart is a recipe for death. It's like inhaling noxious carbon monoxide fumes that are laced with perfume. And if you do that, if you inhale that long enough, you'll soon be unconscious unless you're rescued by someone else. Well, Jesus is providing the rescue in this warning. So you say, well, what do I do? I've sinned. How do I, how do I escape? Because I feel like I'm, I'm clutched, and it's not like I just have the strength. Well, 
you're not going to walk away one time because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. None of us are supermen, right? So we don't just, you know, and we're not Samson either. Sadly, we're more like Samson in some ways than we wish. Odd thing about Samson. Physically, he was the most powerful man that we see in Scripture who is also in bondage as much or more than any other man in Scripture. You can have all the physical attributes of strength and power, but if self-control is not one of those, you're in danger. So the answer is confess. Confess your sin. Remove the gateways to this. And yes, if that means, that, not if that means, that means put things on your computer to protect you. If you know that there is a site here or there, and we're really good at this, we say, well, I don't go to the terrible site. I just go to just normal sites, and I just happen to, don't play that game. You don't happen to do anything. Have a purpose for what you're doing. And if you need to, have someone who's really tech-savvy go on your computer and make it to where you would have to go through 56 steps in order to get this particular okay supposed site back up. Because you can never do enough to totally keep you from sin, but you can put so many roadblocks that it is ex exceedingly frustrating to sin. So remove the gateways, but also be accountable. Find someone to whom you can be accountable. And I'm not just saying your spouse. But someone, brothers, that you know who loves you and who's not going to give you one inch of leeway. I don't mean a legalist. But most of us need something closer to a legalist than we actually have when it comes to being accountable. Someone who will graciously kick you wherever is necessary in order to get your attention at times. This is what good, strong male accountability looks like. But who will do it with grace and love. Some, though, think that the answer to their dissatisfaction with what they're facing, say, I would not commit adultery. I'll do it the legal way. I'll go by way of divorce. And we know that there are certain biblical reasons given for divorce. Here in, in Matthew 5, Jesus mentions uh, sexual immorality. Uh, the Apostle Paul will talk about abandonment as being legitimate reasons for divorce. But often, we concentrate on the reasons for divorce, massaging those, hoping to, to broaden them out. But once the discussion of divorce comes up, Jesus is saying that it is possible to commit adultery or to cause another to commit adultery even though you've gone through all the right channels. Even though you officially call it 
divorce. And our laws don't help at all. It is such that you can manipulate the law. The law was not given as a tool for manipulation. But it's always, we've always battled that. That's part of what Jesus' argument was with religious leaders, is that they were taking the law of God, they had added things to the law of God, and they were finding a way through their added laws to evade what God said in order so that they could technically maintain cover, but actually they could avoid doing what they were called to do. And before we say, poor saps, we do the same. Now, we could leave off here just talking about the dangers of lust and divorce, but I want to leave us with something additional. With an, another reason for protecting marriage. Marriage and family, and the family coming through marriage, are a part of God's plan to feed the world. When we think of feeding the world, you may think of those commercials that come on. Now you see them online, or you see a picture asking you to give a certain amount, or maybe to volunteer for an organization that will help provide physical food. And then that's good. But the biblical picture of feeding the world is not merely through producing more food. In Genesis 1, God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. There is much more here than a command from God to grow crops and give to your offspring. The call to be fruitful and multiply, to cultivate the earth, it's a, it begins with cultivating your family. So when Adam and Eve failed in this, when Adam gave up that call, they lost access to the tree of life. But if you go to the very end, from the first chapter of the Bible to the last chapter, in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life. Again, it's come back. And one of the interesting phrases in Revelation 22, it said there was a tree that bore various types of fruit in its season. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. So let me ask you this. How does a tree produce more than one type of fruit? Is that even possible? If you're a botanist, you know this. Yes, it is possible through grafting. When a tree is grafted, you make a cut in the side of the tree and you take a branch from another tree and you place it into that cut. You press it firmly, you seal it. Over time, then the sap from that tree will go out and it will nourish the branch that was grafted onto it. And that branch will produce fruit. So you can see trees, if they've been properly grafted, that will bear multiple types. You know, a, a tree, the same tree, you'll, you can have a red apple 
and a green apple, or which that, that, that's, my, that's the way I differentiate apples, is red and green, light green, yellow. I read a book. <laughs> but, but it's more than that. You have all varieties of apples, all kinds of these things, and you can get all of them in a tree. Now, I hope you're following, because when I was in a library this week when I was studying this, and I came this close to shouting... It was, it was wonderful because the, the picture is this. In the Old Testament, Israel is depicted as a vine. And then the Apostle Paul picks up that same language in Romans 11 when he says that Israel, as a branch, was removed from the tree, from the olive tree, which is a picture of Christ. And the Gentiles were grafted in. And since then... Many nations have been grafted into the cut side of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? The tree of life was lifted up. And then from his side, the perfect place for a graft was made. And those, those nations who have been grafted in produce significant fruit. But it's not over. That's not it. It's not all yet. Psalm 128. The psalm of the husbandman. Not just the husband, but the husbandman. <laughs> Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine. Your children like olive plants around your table. So when David says in verse 2, when you eat the labor of your hands, he's not chiefly referring to just the work you do outside of your home. As important as that is, he's talking about the work of nurturing your wife and family. Husbands, you bless your wife and your children, and then in turn you eat the fruit. You enjoy the blessings that rebound to you because you've done the work to cultivate them. When you labor in your vineyard, protecting your marriage, blessing your spouse, strengthening your family, there is, David says... There's joy. There's rest. There's happiness. Now what you may say is, brother, that's a great picture. You don't live in my house. Have you ever seen one of those pictures, like a medieval picture of these peasants who are working in a field and then they got their little thatched cottage and then there's this lovely church behind and behind, you say to yourself, that's garbage. I know what their lives were like. Miserable, brutish, and short, to quote Thomas Hobbes. Well, they certainly had problems. But you know, sometimes we don't like pictures, not because they're inaccurate, but because we don't like what they reflect. We don't like that, you know, how can these people who are working their hands to the bone actually be happy? Because they didn't have nearly all the great stuff we have, and quite frankly, I'm halfway miserable every now and then. Well, no, for one thing, they probably were too at times. But 
When you see something that you don't have, it's, it can be frustrating. We don't like those pictures always. They challenge us. But the picture of Psalm 28 is one we need to confront. Laboring in the fields of your home is hard. Sometimes the ground of our marriage is rocky. The invading pests are frustrating. The stress is tremendous. We feel like Satan dangles before us this great, lovely carrot or oatmeal cream pie or whatever of lust that we want. He holds it out and we think, I will feel so much better. My life will be better if I just take that. But doing the work, brothers, of protecting your marriage from lust and other invaders is the most important thing you can do. Your household has been grafted into the true vine. Protecting your marriage from lust is the work of both a cathedral builder and a gardener. Jesus was a carpenter, and He, at His resurrection, was asked if He were a gardener. How else do you get a tree of life? Except from the perfect gardener. The dangers to your marriage are immense, and the culture makes it easier and easier to destroy. But the fruit of a strong, godly marriage is what will feed the world. Cultivating, guarding, building, and rejoicing over your family may be the hardest, the most rewarding, and the furthest reaching work you will ever do in God's kingdom. So give yourself to this good work. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the encouragement of Your Word. And as we receive Your Word now, we pray that You would strengthen us to carry it out. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.